Brothers and sisters, the text for the sermon this morning is verse 25 of Hebrews 12. Hebrews 12, verse 25, and there it says, See that you do not refuse him who speaks. For if they did not escape who refused him who spoke on earth, much more shall we not escape if we turn away from him who speaks from heaven. Love a congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ. Our text has a warning. And thanks to the profusion of all kinds of frivolous lawsuits, you end up with all kinds of ridiculous warnings on various kinds of products, a hairdryer warning wisely advises do not use while sleeping, and a folding stroller has a tag on it warning caution, remove infant before folding for storage. We can thank the lawsuit-happy lawyers for those kind of warnings, but the, the downside of those ludicrous warnings is that they might make us ignore legitimate warnings. And there are some warnings that we ignore to our peril. God's warning of eternal judgment for those who reject the gospel is the most perilous warning in the world. And the author of the letter to the Hebrews was concerned that some of his readers who had professed their faith in Christ were now in danger of abandoning that profession under pressure from others around them. So in our text, he issues a repeated final warning to urge them to persevere in their professed faith in Christ. And his message, by the way, that warning is actually a repeat of what he said all through this letter to the Hebrews. For instance, Hebrews 2, 1 to 3, which we listened to before, therefore we must give the more earnest heed to the things we have heard, lest we drift away. For if the word spoken through angels proved steadfast and every transgression and disobedience received a just reward, how shall we escape if we neglect so great as salvation. In fact, someone has counted five basic warnings relating to heeding the word of God in the letter to the Hebrews, five. And our text contains the last one, It's the last serious warning, a deadly thing not to take to heart God's word. How shall we escape? And with that in mind, I proclaim to you the text for this morning with this theme, a final warning not to turn away from God's word. We see two things. God's word has increased in value for us after Christ. 
And so, in the second place, the seriousness of refusal to heed God's word has also increased. So, God's word has increased in value for us after Christ. Wouldn't it be wonderful, congregation, if things here in church were the way they often happened, the way they often did in the, in the Old Testament? In those times, the Lord God often spoke audibly to his people and sometimes imposingly manifested his glorious presence to his people. And everybody knew then, this is God's voice. This is God's awesome presence. We're, we're in the presence of God. It would be magnificent if God would openly reveal himself to us like that today too, wouldn't it? like he did in the wilderness at Mount Sinai when he gave Israel the law. The writer to the Hebrews had that occasion in mind in what he wrote in chapter 12 before our text. If only the Lord God would reveal himself now as he did then at Sinai, for instance. If he would let blackness and darkness and tempest descend on this church building today, if he would let a ball of fire burn around this building without burning it up. If he would let everybody for miles around hear, hear a massive trumpet blast. If he would open the heavens above the pulpit here and have his glorious angels descend here. Then all our doubts would immediately be taken away, wouldn't they? then we wouldn't need to make the Lord known to others around here in our area because they'd all flock to this church, wouldn't they? It'd be way too small to accommodate all the people who'd want to be here. If only. And what I want to say with that is, as New Testament church, we can sometimes feel pretty disadvantaged compared to the Old Testament church to Israel. In those days, you often had something tangible, something visible and audible. Like it says in verse 18, now things seem so undetectable in our worship. Our worship services are so plain, sober, not much to see, even less to touch. The sermon is the main thing, and all you can do is sit there and listen. Listen to words, words, words which we sometimes doubt because we sometimes see so little of their reality. It's so hard to convince others out there of the truth of those words because it seems so unimpressive. And yet, brothers and sisters, boys and girls, we shouldn't wish that circumstances today were as they were in the Old Covenant. Because that would actually, believe it or not, that would be a loss for us. It would be to our disadvantage instead of to our advantage. And that's because God has gone so much farther in his work and his revelation of that work than he did in the Old Testament. 
We might not realize it, but God's Word has gained enormously in value for us, in worth for us in the New Testament. That's what the Spirit wants to show all the way through the letter to the Hebrews. He's writing to Jews who are in danger of thinking back, falling back to the Old Testament times. Well, this, this letter was written to show how much better the new covenant is above the old. You remember maybe how we began this sermon series on Hebrews with a sermon of, on the first verses of this letter, chapter, chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. And there, there it says, God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things. And we paid attention then to the origin, sufficiency, and clarity of God speaking in his word, the Bible. And we saw then that, yes, God spoke in the old covenant by the, the prophets, but now spoken by his Son. And therefore he has said all we need to know for life and salvation when he spoke through his Son, the fulfillment of the Old Testament. Well, the letter to the Hebrews shows all the way through that that's because the Son of God, Jesus Christ, has by his priestly work, by his once-for-all sacrifice for himself, fulfilled everything signified in the Old Testament sacrifices and ceremonies. They all foreshadowed his work. And when he had completed his work and ascended into heaven, those sacrifices and ceremonies of the Old Covenant were no longer needed. They were old stuff. They were thrown aside because the new covenant in Christ's blood is, after all, the rich fulfillment of all that was proclaimed in the old covenant worship, the fulfillment of salvation. And so throughout this letter to the Hebrews, you see the new covenant contrasted with the old one which God made with his people in Moses' days at Mount Sinai. And then you see that contrast coming to head in our text, in Hebrews 12, around our text. In this chapter, the covenant meeting with God and the worship of, of the New Testament church is contrasted with the meeting with God at Mount Sinai in the Old Testament, the, the high point of worship in the Old Testament. And what becomes apparent then is that there's quite a big contrast. New Testament covenant meeting with God and worship shows quite a bit of progress over the Old Testament covenant assembly when it was instituted at Mount Sinai. Our text summarizes that progress by stating that whereas in the past God spoke on earth, he now speaks from heaven. In the Old Covenant, God came down to his people here on earth. But in the New Covenant, now, he draws his people up to himself, to heaven. It's the other way around. Instead of God coming down to Israel at Mount Sinai as in Old Testament worship, in the New Testament worship of his people, God is drawing his people up to the heavenly Mount Zion, the heavenly Jerusalem. And what a contrast then. 
What an immense improvement here. Because in the Old Testament, God revealed himself in darkness, fire, thunder, tempest, the sound of a trumpet, always sounding danger, the words that became louder and louder so that those who begged, those who heard begged that the, the word no longer be spoken to them anymore. God's majestic presence and his words were so terrifying the people couldn't handle it. Israel, we could say, was confronted with things which happened here on earth. But in the New Testament worship, we have to do with heavenly things, which far surpass those earthly things. We don't have to do with a mountain here on earth. We have to do with a heavenly mountain, Zion, on which lies the heavenly city, the New Jerusalem, which we spoke about last Sunday. And then we lift our hearts in worship as New Testament church. And we have to do with innumerable angels here and with the souls of all the saints who have entered heaven before us. And above all, we have to do here in worship with God himself through Jesus seated at his right hand who intercedes for us on the basis of his blood. And that blood of Jesus doesn't call for vengeance like Abel's blood. But that blood atones for sins. And you realize from all this that in spite of the fact that it looks so plain compared to the Old Testament worship, the New Testament worship is much more wonderful than the Old Testament worship. As people belonging to Jesus Christ, we don't have to be afraid of God who comes in darkness and thunder and fire. We can approach him freely in Christ. When we worship as New Testament God, we actually step into heaven, you could say. The true Mount Zion and the city of God are in heaven. But here in our worship, you could say, we stand at the gates of that city. Think about it, congregation. Think about that. When God descended on Mount Sinai, thousands of angels surrounded the mountain so that nobody could even touch it. And so that if even an animal touched it, it would be put to death. But now that God draws us up to Mount Sion, we come with innumerable angels. We come into the presence of innumerable angels surrounding God's throne, sent out by God, who protect us, who minister to us, who teach us to praise God with their praises. When God's voice was heard from Mount Sinai, the people drew back in fear. They were afraid, begged Moses, Please tell God not to speak to us anymore. And even Moses was afraid. And in verse 21, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I'm exceedingly afraid and trembling. But now that God speaks to us on Mount Zion, we don't shut our ears and draw back, but we listen and draw near.
draw near to God. That's what the letter to the Hebrews, in fact, tells us to do a number of, in a number of places. Draw near to God with confidence, boldly. <clears throat> On Mount Sinai, <clears throat> God manifested himself as the judge who punishes every transgression with his holy law. Those who disobeyed his command not to touch the mountain were to be stoned to death or shot with an arrow, for instance. But on Mount Zion, the mountain we approach, God manifests himself as a same judge, but then full of grace and forgiveness. And he declares all who belong to Jesus Christ innocent. And he gives them an eternal inheritance with Christ. The blood which Moses sprinkled on everything at Mount Sinai could only remind the people of sin for the blood of bulls and goats can't really take away sin. But we have blood in heaven in the real sanctuary. Christ has ascended there, entered the most holy place with his blood through the curtain with his blood which atones for all the sins of his people once and for all. And therefore, God doesn't scare us away with his wrath, but he seeks us out in his peace. See, congregation, when you think about how God spoke in the Old Testament, and then you compare it, how he speaks to us in the New Testament in, in worship, after Christ's death, resurrection, and ascension, then you're not going to wish anymore that he would speak to us today like he did in the Old Testament, do you? even though God speaking to us through the opening of his word today seems a lot less impressive than in the past. It's no less imposing, though. In fact, it has increased considerably in value for us. Think about this. God no longer speaks to us through Moses or through another prophet here on earth. He now speaks to us through his Son, our mediator in heaven, who has revealed everything we need to know in his word, the gospel. So outwardly, you might think God's speaking doesn't have the awful might it did in the Old Testament. However, it has gained in power, immensely in power. The Spirit of Christ now comes to us from heaven via the Word into our hearts. And He draws our hearts up to heaven to God's throne where our mediator and Savior is. And whoever lets himself or herself be drawn there by the Spirit through the Word, whoever listens to and obeys the heavenly call in the Gospel, that person will experience that the powers of the life to come live in him or in her heart. That person becomes a new man or woman. That person's life becomes more and more like life in heaven is with God. That person's life becomes more 
and more Christ-like. And that person will live now already in that peace that passes understanding, that peace that is in heaven. And that person will live comforted in both life and death. And congregation, those are the powers of the new covenant. Those are the powers of the new covenant. And they are powers which Scripture describes as equal in majesty and power to creation itself and to the resurrection from the dead. That God, through His Spirit, changes hearts and lifts them up to heaven. Wonderful power, awesome power to change people from haters into lovers, into followers of Jesus Christ and lovers of God in Him. And congregation, if you understand something of those powers, those inner powers, then you'll never want to go back to the time before Christ and those powers that worked there on Mount Sinai. Oh, it can look so plain and sober, hey, when we're together in worship here with word and sacrament. It doesn't look very impressive. Our worship here doesn't seem to hold any powers, unleash any power. But whoever has eyes and ears opened by the Spirit through the gospel of Jesus Christ will know how much more worthwhile and wonderful it is to worship God today above the Old Testament worship. Because we're being prepared here for eternal life in the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. We're being formed into people who, who live there with God. And then we come to the second part of the sermon this morning. We've seen that God's word has increased in value for us after Christ, but that also means the seriousness of the refusal to heed that word has also increased. See that you do not refuse him who speaks, is what the Spirit says in our text. See that you do not refuse him. For if they, the Israelites, did not escape who refused him who spoke on earth, much more shall we not escape if we turn away from him who speaks from heaven. See, it all becomes a lot more serious in spite of the fire and the thunder and the trumpet sound and all the mighty events that took place when God came on Mount Sinai. Many Israelites did not truly let themselves become impressed by God speaking there. It didn't really change their lives. They soon forgot his words. They became rebellious against God. I have to think here of Korah, Dathan, and Abiram, who wanted to, to offer their own kind of fire to God in the tabernacle. And the people complained. And they even wanted to go back to Egypt. Even after having seen all this on Mount Sinai. Of course, God couldn't leave their refusal of his speaking on Mount Sinai unpunished. 
And you see then that the journey through the wilderness of Israel through the wilderness, their pilgrimage to the promised land was strewn with graves. Strewn with graves. The fire of God's wrath consumed so many of them, even literally more than once. Korah, Dathan, and Abiram. That's what, what's in that the writer of the letter to the Hebrews has in mind here, for it says at the end of Hebrews 12, our God is a consuming fire. But don't think that he isn't a consuming fire today too. He is. In fact, in the new covenant, it has become so much more dangerous to ignore or to rebel against the gospel. For now that there's no more fence to keep us away from God's presence as at Sinai, but the great high priest Jesus Christ has opened the way for us to come near the living God in Zion, it is therefore much more dangerous to refuse him who speaks. Because we have so much more than the Old Testament covenant people of God did. It's therefore much more serious to ignore or turn away from what God says in his word. We know the fulfillment of everything that was spoken on Sinai. We already see the future on Zion. How can we refuse how can we refuse? It's hazardous, congregation. If we sit here under the opening of the word with careless or hard hearts. Don't forget that in her worship, the New Testament church comes into the presence of the living God and the innumerable company of angels. That's what the worship services are about. We lift our hearts to God and he greets us at the beginning of our worship. And he speaks to us. We open his word. Do not refuse him who speaks, our text warns. Because now he has spoken much more than he ever did in the old covenant. He has spoken everything we need for life and salvation. So congregation, if we sit here under God's word, and we refuse to exert ourselves, to humble ourselves, and make every effort to obey what he says in his word, then we shouldn't think that we can escape the consequences of that. It's of utmost importance what we do with the word of him who speaks from heaven. Does his word have the last say in your life? Are we prepared to obey that word readily and unconditionally? Do we realize that the consequences of unbelief and disobedience have become so much more serious for us in the new covenant? Because now we have Christ, the revelation of Christ, and everything that he stands for to turn away from him, his gospel, is much more serious. 
The distance between us and the living God, we could say, has become so much smaller in the new covenant because of Christ than it was in the old. And what would that mean if God is a consuming fire? I know nobody's going to say, nobody in heaven will say in the future, well, I'm here because I was so afraid of God's wrath. No. Everybody in heaven in the future will be there only because they loved Christ. No, so our text is not intended to scare people into heaven. It's intended, though, to rouse God's people so they don't fall asleep and lose the eternal blessings in Christ which they have in promise. Citizenship in the New Jerusalem. Like Esau. Esau is mentioned in this chapter who thought so little of the covenant blessings, he sold them for a bowl of food, a meal of stew when he was hungry. No, we have eternal blessings promised us in Christ. He has opened the way for us into heaven, to the city of God. His Spirit wants to draw us up there Every time we worship, he's pulling us up. Let's not underestimate the glory of that. Let's take part in covenant worship whenever we can. Let's not let others become careless in taking part, but encourage them and exhort, for the threat is so much greater because the glory is so much nearer too. Amen. Let's sing together in response to the proclamation. Psalm 84, stanzas 5 and 6.